Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I mentioned last week that we were going to begin today to study to, to an Advent series. Uh, for many of you that were raised in, in traditional churches such as I was, this is called the Advent season. And Advent is a Latin word that just means come, the coming. And what it speaks to is to, to begin to focus on the coming of the Lord Jesus, which obviously we celebrate on Christmas Day. And as I mentioned last week, and I've mentioned several years before, that uh, typically uh, Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches and Word of Faith churches don't typically do that. We just kind of let Christmas sneak up on us and do a Christmas celebration. We may have some music that leads up to it. But there's some, re- there's some wisdom, I think, in spending the weeks before and talking about and preparing for, for Christmas. That's what God did. God didn't just send Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He sent people ahead of time, John the Baptist, to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> he sent angels. He, sent, he did things ahead of time to prepare the people to receive the gift that he was going to give to them in his son. So I think it's appropriate to help us to get a, a greater understanding and a greater appreciation for Christmas this season, to spend these several weeks before Christmas to talk about what God did for us on Christmas. And we're going to approach it from a uh, way I tend to think of things a little differently. We're going to approach it from God's point of view. Uh, typically, a Christmas Eve service or a Christmas time, there's a reading of the story of, of Angel Gabriel coming to, to, uh, to Mary. There's the great story in, in, that's in Luke of the whole preparation and all of that. And then there's the great, the great time of coming out to the manger and all the story of Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem and all of that. And that's looking at Christmas from man's side. But there's a God side to this. There's a God's perspective. And that perspective starts literally before the foundation of the world. And so we're going to take the next several three Sundays and begin to look at, at, at Christmas from God's side. So the one who had the greatest understanding or perception of that, uh, of the apostles, the, the writers of the New Testament, was, was the apostle John. John, maybe that's why I do it, John looked at these events from God's perspective. So we're going to start out in in the Gospel of John, and we're going to trace through. The series is called The Word Became Flesh. And today's message is, we're just going to break that down into into three lessons. Today we're going to talk about the Word. What does it mean that the Word became flesh? And, and many, some of, many of you have heard this before, but it's good to get reminded of it. But I realize there are many Christians out there, many people that, that are part of this church, whether you're here this morning or you're online, who may not have really understand this. Because we think of Jesus, we think of, of the birth of Jesus, that that's when Jesus was created. And it's not. That's when part of Him was. So let's go to John chapter 1, verse 14. And let's look at this one simple verse. There's so much more we could look at. And we're going to go back and explain this. But this is the foundation of what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. This is God's perspective. This is what God did. This is from God's side when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, and the Word became flesh. That is such an incredibly profound statement. It's so easy to read across it because those are terms we're so used to in our normal course of life. The Word, well, we're used to, we use the term Word a lot. And the Word became flesh. We're conscious of what flesh means. So we're going to break this down so that we can have a much deeper appreciation for what it means when the Spirit of God says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this morning, we're going to look at at what does it mean that the Word became flesh. We think of Jesus as being born in Bethlehem. And he was. But the name Jesus is the name that was given to the child that was conceived in Mary's womb and then brought forth on that first Christmas. But the life that was in that baby was not created then. That baby was the physical result of the of John 1.14, the Word becoming flesh. The Word is what was conceived into that mother's womb. And the Word took on flesh in her womb, and that Word in that flesh came forth from her womb and was given the name Jesus. But the life that was in that baby Jesus has always existed. But on that Christmas day, actually in the conceived in her womb, that word now took on flesh. So we're going to go back and we're going to look at what that word is that was conceived into her womb and became Jesus when he came forth. So to do that, we're going to go back to the beginning of John and see what John was referring to. And in the beginning was the Word. Now, does that phrase, in the beginning, remind you of something else in the Bible? Sure, Genesis chapter 1. The Bible starts with, in the beginning. So that raises the question, maybe just to me, because that's how my mind thinks, the beginning of what? Because if he's talking about the beginning, it's the beginning of something. Well, what it's referring to is not the beginning of God, because God's always existed. And what we're going to see is the Word's always existed. So in the beginning is referring to the beginning, the creation of this realm of existence that we call the flesh realm, what we call the natural realm. It's any, anything that can be detected by one or more of our five senses. So it's the universe of all the stars and all the, the nebulae and all the black holes and all this amazing universal creation that's out there and they're still just discovering it and it's still growing down to the tiniest little part of an atom. All of that came into existence at one point in time. 
Science are still trying to figure that out, but the Bible tells us the answer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John's telling us that in that beginning also was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So we've got to let that sink in a a little bit. The Word was with God at the beginning of creation, and we're going to learn a little more about that in a few minutes. This Word that John's introducing to us is part of God. Next verse, there two. He was in the beginning with God. So now we know that this Word is a person with a personality. Because when you hear, hear the term Word, we think of, and we'll talk about this also in a minute, we think of an expression. But here John's telling us that this Word is a person, and this person was with God, and this person was God. Verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing that was made was made. Now the Him refers to the Word. Philippians 2 verse 6, they're not going to put it up there, says that was... He did not consider it robbery to say that he was equal with God. That's kind of a long-winded way of saying this word, this second person of the Godhead, is God and he's equal with God. Now, these are concepts that are, that are bigger than our mind's ability to grasp. And it's the concept of the Trinity. God exists in three different personalities, but they're all God. They have three different roles, but they're all God. Three different functions, but they're all God. And the word that we're going to talk about today is the second person of that Godhead. The third person is the Holy Spirit. But they're all God. They just have three different roles and functions. And there's, there's no way our human mind can fully grasp what that means. But we have some examples of it that we can relate to. Water exists both as a liquid, and if you went out too early this morning, you may have experienced some of that water that was also in the form of ice. But when you boil water to make your tea, that water now is converted into vapor. But it's all moisture, whether it's in the form of a solid, whether it's in the form of a liquid, or whether it's in the form of a vapor, it's still all a moisture. And and that's a very poor analogy, but it's the best that we have because God's infinitely bigger than any of those things. So this word that became flesh is the second person of the Godhead, equal with God, part of God, And now we see that all things that were made in that beginning creation were made through Him. So He was part of that creation. He was part of that creation. I I was not going to get into this, but I'm going to spend just a moment. The three different parts of the Godhead have three different roles and three different levels of authority. And they're all involved here in the creation. 
you have God the Father. God the Father is the, is the ultimate. He, it is His will that is carried out. Everything is designed and contended to carry out the will of God the Father. God the Son, also part of God, is like the Prime Minister, or is like, excuse me, is like the Chief of Staff. His role is to carry out the will of the, in, in the military, in the Navy. You have the captain of the ship. It's his ship. He is law on that ship. But he has an executive officer. And the executive officer is responsible for carrying out the captain's wishes. The captain doesn't carry them out, and the executive officer doesn't carry them out, but the executive officer is responsible for making sure they're carried out. And then you have sailors and officers that, over, that actually carry that out. Well, you bring that analogy over to God in three parts. God the Father, it's His will that's carried out. God the Son is like the executive officer. He's responsible for carrying, making sure the Father's will is carried out. That's why when God wanted to create this, it was created by and through the Son. Because He was responsible for bringing it about. But the physical agent that actually carries it out is the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to go to Genesis 1, but it says, and the Spirit of God hovered over. The Spirit of God is hovering over, waiting for the Word to be spoken. And then the Spirit of God carries it out. We could bring that over to the church, why Jesus said, having birthed the church, Jesus said, don't do anything until you've received power from on high when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, because He's the agent of God that works through the church, the body of Christ, to carry it out in the world. And I'm getting, I'll get distracted if I follow that out too far. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. Now, all right, we're going to talk this morning about what does this Word mean? What does it mean, the Word? And again, if I were using some, some, some term that you'd never heard of before, you'd just be open and listen to what I had to say, assuming I knew what I was talking about. But when we're talking about a term that we use every day, we have to unlearn something before we can learn it. So we're going to learn what the word, this word means. To do it, we've got to look at the Greek word that this is a translation of. Now, I realize sometimes I forget this, that there are people here, maybe not so much here, but maybe watching online, that you do not realize that the, the Bible was not written in King James language. The Bible was written, the New Testament was written in the Greek of that time called Koinine Greek. So what we have here and in other countries are translations of this original Greek text. So the Greek text are the words that were actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Greek word that is here translated word is the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S. The other common word, Greek word, that's translated word in our New Testament is the word rhema, and that word means a word spoken. Spoken to do something, spoken to communicate something. But the Greek word logos is much broader and deeper than that. That word means the complete expression 
of a concept or of an idea. So if it's talking about a, the, the, the word of a, of a, a philosophy, it's the whole complete, complete containing of all the thoughts and systems of that philosophy. But it's also used to refer to a person. And when it refers to a person, it refers to the complete expression of that personality. It's the complete expression of that personality. So one of the things we're going to talk about today is God is a God who communicates. Everything God does is communicating about Himself because God is love and love cannot contain itself. So love has to communicate itself. This is why the church has to communicate to the world God's love. We're made to communicate because the God that we've been joined to is a God who communicates, who expresses Himself. And we're going to talk, that's really what we're going to talk about today. Words are containers by which we express our ideas, our emotions, and other things to one another. As you listen to me, and as you've listened to me, some of you for years, <laughs> as you've listened to me, and you've heard the words that I speak, they're containers of what's in my heart and what's in my understanding. And as a result of listening to the words that have come forth from my mouth, you've also gained some understanding of me to the extent that you've received the words. Now just follow me out here. So words are containers. In fact, part of how I develop a message, and it's just the way I was trained and raised, is I like to take a word... And I like to, to get inside, all I can do is I want to get inside that word. And I want to begin to feel and experience that word. And then come here on Sunday and stand inside that word and describe to you what I'm experiencing so you can begin to taste what I'm experiencing inside that word. And that's what I want to do today. So the word, a word is a container. It's a container when it's talking about a person of their character, of their nature, of their personality, of everything about them and what they represent. And so as, as you receive their words, you receive them. And we'll show you later on. This is a foundation for where we're going to go. As you receive their words, you receive them. So as you, as you listen to my words, you begin to develop a relationship with me in some ways, that's more than the relationship I have with you because you have the opportunity to hear from me far more than I have an opportunity to hear from you. And, that, and that's normal. That's okay. My point is, by listening to the words that come forth from my mouth or from anybody else that preaches from here, but predominantly it's me, you're beginning to get, you get to know me. And as you receive this, whatever's in my heart... God can now transplant into your heart and stimulate into your heart. So words are containers to communicate when there's a person, the essence of that person. So in the beginning was the Word. As you, therefore, the second person of the Godhead that we're talking about this morning, He is the expression of God the Father. Remember, God wants to communicate Himself. 
So this second person of the Godhead that the Holy Spirit has given the title Word, He's given Him that title because this second person is the full expression of God the Father. So God wants to express Himself through words. And in this case, through a word, which is His only begotten Son. Everybody following me so far? You guys online, wave at me so I know you're following me too. Okay. All right, this is laying a foundation for where this whole series is going. Now listen carefully. Therefore, the second person of the Godhead is an expression of God the Father. And to the extent that we receive Him, we can come to know God the Father. It is natural for a son to be the expression of his father. As, as I've gotten older and I look in the mirror and then happen to run across the picture of my father at, at, well, not at my age, I've actually lived longer than he did. But I look at pictures of my father, I get startled sometimes how much I look like him. But when I get startled, it's, it's not because it's like, how in the world could that happen? It's like, oh, I don't like that happening. But it's a natural thing for a child to look like their parents. It's a natural... In fact, isn't that what we do with a baby? We start figuring out who he looks like or who she looks like. Why? Because they, we know that child came out of those parents. Well, we didn't get into the verses in First John, but he says that we were... For those who receive him... Remember, he's an expression of the Father. And to those who receive that expression of the Father, you receive him. And to them, he gave the right, the ability to become children of God, born not of the flesh nor of the will of man, but born out of God. So the word we're talking about is the expression of God the Father to the world. The expression, God expressing himself, communicating himself to us. Okay, we've got to move on. God is always communicating Himself out of relationship and in order to develop relationship. So this word that we're looking at today is God's means of communicating Himself to man. Because there's no way with our tiny little pea brain minds that we can begin to grasp what God is like unless God reveals Himself. And I don't have time this morning to explain why that's true. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 because it's the story of this creation. And we've just seen that God created all things through the Word and by the Word. So in Genesis 1, nine times it says, And God said, Let there be. And then there was. And then God commented on the quality of what was. So God created this universe, of this natural universe, out of simply words, let there be. God released His creative power through words, through the Word. God communicated. God created through the words. And then God created this man and divided into a man and a woman. And they had a relationship with God that was 
was face to face. They could see God. They could hear His voice. He could see their face. He could hear their voice. Because that, that man that God created, and by that I mean the man and the woman, were just as holy and just as pure as He is. So there was nothing, there was nothing to interfere with that one-on-one pure communication. Oh, that it had stayed that way. But then comes Genesis 3. And they rebel against God. They disobey God's commandment. And they take their life into their own hands. And the very first thing they do is go and hide from the presence of God. And from that time on, God could no longer have a face-to-face relationship with the man He created, and that includes all of us. He could not communicate to them the same way He communicated to that first man because of the sin that's in our nature now, born out of Adam. But everything God did from Genesis 3.15 on was to restore that relationship so that it could be a face-to-face relationship with nothing in between, so that God could communicate to His loving creation everything about Himself that He wanted to communicate, so that God could bless and take care of and provide for us with all that He contains and all that He wants to do. Remember, He created the Garden of Eden, this amazing place, to bless them. And God's character and nature has never changed. He wants to pour His blessing out on all of His creation, but it's the sin that keeps us from receiving it. It's the sin and the pride. We're still hiding. Man still hides as Adam did in the garden. Their sin and disobedience severed the open and direct relationship. And everything God did from that point on was to restore that direct communication. In the Old Testament, God spoke through His prophets and through signs and types and shadows and wonders but could not speak directly. And there are just a few minor exceptions to that. So in order to restore that original expression or communication, oh, listen to this, in order to restore it, God now has to send to the earth His Word in a form that man could see, man could hear, and man could touch. And so that word, that word that God used to create man to begin with, that word that God used to create everything else, now God had to put in human flesh so we could see Him, hear Him, and communicate with Him the same way that first man did before he fell. I've never taught this before. This is something I had never seen before yesterday in these terms. And so God had to send the second person because the second person is the full expression of Him. But now He had to put Him in a form that we could see, feel, touch, and hear. And so the Word had to become flesh and dwell among us. So his best and most complete expression of himself so that came so that man could receive him or reject him. 
Remember, if you reject a man's word, you reject him. And God was giving man a choice. You can either receive this word that's an expression of me, and if you do, you've received me, or you can reject the expression of me and that word, in which case you reject me. Let's look at some scriptures now. Hebrews 1.3. This is talking about the Word now. Who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, upholding all things by the Word of His power, He had by Himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Talking about Jesus now. He was being the brightness. That word brightness literally means in the Greek the outshining of His glory. Now we, you know, it's beautiful to drive, uh, you know, we, when we, sometimes we drive home on a Wednesday night and, and we go where we live, you have, we have to pass a bottle, body of water to get there. And sometime either coming in or going home, the, there's a full moon that's rising over that. And it's just gorgeous, it's gorgeous. But that moon is only reflecti- or reflecting to us the sun's rays bounced off of it. None of that come from the moon itself. We know we've had men walk on it. But Jesus is not a reflection of God's glory. He is the outshining of God's glory. I have a, of a, of a watch. I don't have time to go there. Okay. He is the outshining of God's glory, the express image. That word is icon, which means a visual image so that you can see the, the essence of something. He is the express, the exact image of God's person. Let's look at another verse here. 1 John chapter 1. That, this is John with that same perspective we talked about, talking about the word, that which was from the beginning, in the beginning God created. We have heard so what, the word that was at the beginning, John saying, we've now heard his voice. And we have seen him with our eyes. We've now seen God. And we have looked upon him. And our hands have handled. So this word, this full expression of God, the, the exact representation of his glory, the outshining of his glory, we've seen him. We've heard His voice. We've touched Him and been touched by Him. Because God wanted to communicate Himself. There's a a wonderful line in a Mark... um, I forgot his name. In this song, Mary, Did You Know? Where's the line that says, Mary, did you know you kissed the face of God when you kissed your baby? It's God in the flesh. Whew. Verse 2. This light, go back to verse 1. I've got to be careful because I'm going to run out of time. Concerning the word of life. So in this human, in this man, that God became a human, we touched, we heard, we, we spoke to the word 
of life. That's life the way God lives it. Next verse. This life was manifested. That's just a big three-letter word, three-letter word that means was shown, was seen. And we have seen Him bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father but is now made manifest to us here. First John, or John 14, verse 9. Don't, don't even bother to go there. If you've seen me, he said to Philip, you've seen the Father. Because he said, how, how do we know the Father? He said, well, if you've seen me, you've seen him. God wanted you to see him. But he had to take on flesh so you could see him and hear him and touch him and be touched by God. Let's go to John, John 12, verse 48. Now Jesus is expressing now the very principle I just taught you. We're going to see Jesus. He said, He who rejects me does not receive my words. So when, we, when, the, when that people he was talking to did not accept his words, they didn't accept him. Has that, and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word which I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Go on. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father sent me and gave me a command that what I, that, that what I should say and what I should speak. Why? Because he was the word of God, the expression of the totality of God's glory, His personality, His love. So, God expresses Himself through His Word. Second thing, God creates and acts through His Word. We just looked in Genesis 1, and God said, let there be. God spoke this world, this universe into existence. It says that in Hebrews 11, verse 3. We're not going to go there. Nine times. It's the same word by which God was created. Colossians 1.15 He, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Word became flesh. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven, that's, that's the heavens around the earth. And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. Hebrews 1, again. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in past times to the fathers by the prophets. I said, in the Old Testament, God was communicating, but He couldn't communicate fully. He could only communicate through His prophets or through signs and wonders or types and shadows. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. So the Word became flesh was God speaking to us, communicating to us, whom He has appointed heir over all things, through whom He also has made the worlds. Through whom He also has made the worlds. So God heals, restores, and blesses 
through His Word. Psalm 107, very famous verse on healing, said, said He sent His Word and healed them. God healed by His Word in the Old Testament, and God's brought healing to us through this Word in the New Testament. Jesus did many of His miracles through His words. He spoke to things. Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus taught his disciples to speak. Whosoever shall say unto this, whosoever shall say, talking about a problem or an issue, shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes what he said shall come to pass. Jesus spoke to things and he taught his disciples to speak to things, to cause things to take place. Mark, or, or Matthew 8, 5. The story of the centurion comes to Jesus and says to him, my servant's lying at home terribly paralyzed. And Jesus said, I will come, I will go there and heal him. He said, no, 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 I don't need you to come. You're not, I'm not worried that you come under my roof. And the implication is you don't need to. So all you need to do is say a word and my servant shall be healed. And he said, I know that because I recognize that you're also somebody under authority and then you're somebody in authority. You came to speak for somebody else. You came to carry out someone else's uh, uh, purposes and will by your words, and therefore his authority flows through you. And I know that because as a soldier, I am somebody under authority, and I have somebody in authority, because when I say go to a soldier, he goes. When I say come to a soldier, he comes. When I say do this to my servant, he does it. I do it with words. You do it with words because you're the expression of the Father. The Father moves, creates, acts through words. We don't have time to talk about what He's given us. God imparts His life through His words. Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. To my what? To my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Verse 21. Do not let them depart from your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Verse 22. So God's words contain His life. God's words contain His life. John six sixty three, Jesus said, It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing, but the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Do you ever get up and you're feeling discouraged or just feeling weak? You feel discouraged and you feel weak and then you get into your Bible and you start reading your Bible to start speak, speaking to you and you feel alive, you get strength. You know what it's like? Some of you that have come on Wednesday night, you drag yourself in here on a Wednesday night. I remember when I was practicing law, my office was an hour away and I would come home, we'd grab something quick to eat, and we'd come here on Wednesday night at 7.30. And I'd come in here thinking, oh my goodness, I just needed to go to sleep. I'm so tired. But by the time I left here, I was so full of life and energy. Why? Not because I'd taken a nap, as some of you do, but I came because I got God's Word stirred in me. God's words are life. The life of God is in His words and in His Word. So what does all this mean to us? Well, today's a foundation. 
Because to go into the Word became flesh, we have to have a, a, a clear understanding of who this Word is and why God calls Him the Word and what does it mean to us that He is the Word, the Word of God, that the Word is a person. And so God took all that He is. Think of this. God took all that He is, the totality of who He is. He took all that He's capable of doing and He clothed that in human flesh so God could be seen, God could be heard, God could be touched, and so that God could touch. So that He could instill Himself into a group of men and women that once He left here would be so changed by the presence of God that they would literally bring God into the whole world. And that's where you and I are in some phase of that whole process. God took all He is and all He can do and clothed Himself in human flesh so He could be seen, touched, and He could walk among us as in the beginning. Next week, we're going to look at what does it mean that this Word became joined to flesh because now we're going to begin to take all this and then in the third week we're going to apply it to you and me where we live and where we are and what God wants to do through you and me let's pray Father we thank you today that you loved us so much that you sent your word Father, these are ideas and concepts that are so hard sometimes to grip.